an old joke called the Jews the chosen people as they lived in the only place in the Middle East without oil. However, natural gas finds off of Israel's Mediterranean coast have not only made that yarn obsolete, but there are indications that natural gas is proving to be a golden opportunity for Israel to deepen its ties with key states in the Middle East and in Southern Europe. I would say the economic and uh, I would say strategic uh, benefits from exporting gas to right now to Egypt and Jordan, it's a major benefit to the nation. We have something to give to our neighbors and we have a tangible basis for cooperation that both sides enjoy. Hello and welcome to Decision Points. My name is David Makovsky, the Ziegler Distinguished Fellow and Director of the Project on Arab-Israel Relations at the Washington Institute. And I'm excited to go on this journey examining Israel's challenges with you. For most of its history, Israel was dependent on imports for energy, mostly in the form of oil and natural gas. And because Israel lacked diplomatic relations with most of its neighbors, it was isolated from the oil cartel involving Arabs, known as the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC. Israel had to import British oil, American oil, and even Iranian oil for several years before the overthrow of the Israel-friendly Shah in 1979. In 1973, Israel's energy situation became more dire. As a result of the Yom Kippur War, OPEC imposed an oil embargo on Israel's allies. Trying to force Israel into concessions with its Arab neighbors, the embargo drove up oil prices. Israel once again felt the danger of dependence on energy imports. Throughout the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, Israel continued to be energy dependent and looked for a patchwork of solutions. With the 2009 discovery of natural gas deposits at the Tamar gas field in the eastern Mediterranean, Israel's energy dependence began to change. Suddenly, the gas refined at Tamar had the capacity to meet about two-thirds of Israel's electricity needs and almost all of Israel's industrial needs. The change has been very dramatic. Israel's annual domestic gas usage is less than 1% of the gas found in its waters. So a country that was historically dependent upon imports of others for decades now the script has been flipped. Israel now exports gas to Jordan, Egypt, and the Palestinian Authority. In February 2021, Egypt and Israel agreed towards an agreement that would allow Israeli export of liquefied gas. This enables Israel to even export via Egypt to Europe. These moves have brought Israel and key Arab entities closer. Plus, environmentally, the findings have enabled Israel to phase out polluting diesel and coal-fired plants. Natural gas reserves in the eastern Mediterranean have caught the attention of numerous interested countries. In 2013, Israel, Cyprus, and Greece, known as the Energy Triangle, signed a memorandum for the administration of natural gas. Recently, an energy forum was created with a headquarters in Cairo, bringing together Israel, Greece, Cyprus, Jordan, and Egypt. Suddenly, for the first time in its 70-plus years of existence, Israel was part of a Middle East energy club. 
I think we can pledge that uh, our trilateral cooperation will help bring the blessings of uh, progress not only to uh, the citizens of our three democracies, but also perhaps to the wider region by again helping stability, security, prosperity, and God, uh, God help us also. The United Arab Emirates has pursued a few independent deals with Israel following the Abraham Accords. In October 2020, a state-owned Israeli company and a UAE-based company agreed to take first steps towards possible use of an Eilat Ashkelon pipeline that could move oil from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean. In March 2021, an Israeli energy company, Delek Drilling, sold its stake in the Tamar gas field to the Mubadala Petroleum Company, based in the UAE, for an estimated $1.1 billion. For all the good news, challenges remain. Israel and Lebanon have been in dispute over their maritime border, despite some U.S.-brokered preliminary talks. Turkey has been suspicious about the growing closeness of Israel, Greece, and Cyprus. Though Greece and Cyprus were once hostile to Israel, natural gas cooperation has made leadership summits routine. Turkey's President Erdogan has been vociferous in his criticism of Israel, even using anti-Semitic language. This has made Israel doubt Turkey's interest in intermittently receiving Israeli gas to reduce Ankara's dependence on Russian resources. Given all these dynamics, what is the potential of Israel's energy cooperation with its neighbors and what are its limits? What can lead to even better regional cooperation? Will Israel's new energy partners outweigh its new energy adversaries? Here to explore these questions, I'm delighted to welcome two Israelis, Amit Moore and Ephraim Snet, who have each spent many years focusing on Israel's energy role in the region. Amit Moore is an energy specialist and the CEO of Echo Energy Limited. Over the past 18 years, Dr. Moore served as a consultant to governments, financial organizations, and companies in Israel and abroad in the fields of petroleum, natural gas, power, infrastructure, and the environment. Ephraim Snet, a retired Israel Defense Forces general, is a former deputy defense minister and member of several Israeli cabinets. He is the chairman of the S. Daniel Abraham Center for Strategic Dialogue at Netanya's Academic College. Welcome to you both. My pleasure. It's a pleasure, David. So, Amit, how are Israel's energy finds, this natural gas off the eastern Mediterranean coast, changing Israel? The shift to gas, especially in power generation, was uh, so rapid, I believe Israel broke a world record in this respect from uh, 80% coal and 20% oil. This is heavy fuel oil and diesel in power generation. As a fuel mix, say, 15 years ago, right now Israel utilizes 70% gas and only 10% coal and about 10% renewable energy in its energy mix for power generation. So to shift uh, to gas was very, very rapid, which is, of course, a major gains to the Israeli economy. First, it's major savings from uh, utilizing domestic, relatively cheap uh, energy source. It sums up in the past 15 years to about, uh, I would say, $20 billion. That's the actual uh, saving of importing coal and, and oil. In addition, uh, the government takes, the government takes are about 62% of the revenues, I would say the, the profits, 
of gas sales eventually go uh, to the government. So in this respect, for the, the government budget and to uh, National Sovereign Fund, this is a fund for utilization in future generations in this respect, I would say uh, economic and uh, I would say strategic uh, benefits from exporting gas to right now to Egypt and Jordan, add that to domestic gains due to utilization of domestic fuel, And I would say that uh, summing uh, those finding out it's a major benefit to the nation. Ephraim, what are your thoughts on this? It doesn't change entirely the geostrategic position of Israel, but it gives Israel some positive leverages to make better relations with its neighbors. At the first time in history, we have something to give to our neighbors, and we have a tangible basis for cooperation that both sides enjoy, like Egypt, Jordan, and the Palestinians. And we have something in common with our uh, non-Muslim neighbors, which is Cyprus and Greece. So it gave us a huge geostrategic advantage if we know how to smartly use it. The strategic ties, I, I think these are important. I would say that, in fact, the only major uh, economic ties that Israel has with its close uh, neighbors, Jordan and Egypt, and although we have uh, peace with Egypt for more than 40 years and with uh, Jordan for uh, about 25 years, unfortunately, we called it a uh, cold peace. Uh, there are no uh, economic ties or major social or cultural ties whatsoever. Uh, so the gas uh, export, uh, I would say, is the only major economic connection between Israel and its neighbors. It is important. I don't want to give it too much emphasis. Uh, in my PhD dissertation, which I wrote uh, 25 years ago, I called that time the imports of gas from Egypt to Israel the peace pipeline. So I, I will not call it the peace pipeline uh, today. It is important, but not to be uh, exaggerated. Right. Is it true that Israel exports 40% of Jordan's electricity needs? Yes, yes, you're right. In fact, it's more close to 60% of Jordan's electricity generation is based on uh, imports of Israeli gas. Uh, this contract for exporting Israeli gas from the Leviathan field to Jordan uh, is for 15 years' time, so it's very significant. Ephraim, so if we unpack this, how is that relationship impacted by gas? Unfortunately, the government of Netanyahu, especially in the last few years, didn't know what properly do with Jordan. Instead of encouraging this important neighbor and partner, Netanyahu did everything to weaken and to humiliate it. But the export of gas to Jordan gave us an ability to help them in something which is very important to them and is to reduce the price of electricity. So, on one hand, it's true the anti-normalization movement try to, to wage a struggle against it, but everybody knows that we contribute substantially to help the very poor economy of, of Jordan in a very, very critical moment where they are flooded with, with refugees. We can show that Israel can give them something 
which is very, very crucial and important. So, Amit, do you think with Egypt, Egypt has had its own finds of gas off the Egyptian coast, but yet Egypt could be very helpful, no, in, in terms of Israel exporting gas to Europe via Egypt's what's called the, the LNG. It's cheaper than a pipeline. Am I right? FLNG or floating LNG, it's a new technology that instead of constructing liquefaction plant for gas, LNG liquefaction plants. LNG takes, right, it takes the, the gas and puts and turns it into a liquid and then it goes into a tanker, right? And exactly. Then... And gas, methane gas, turns to liquid in a temperature of minus 162 uh, Celsius degrees. So you need to cool it and, and compress it and then it turns out to, to liquid and then in special tankers, uh, ship the gas LNG to destination, and then you do the reverse uh, process of regasifying the gas and turn it back from liquid uh, status to uh, gaseous status. So, uh, well, Egypt indeed, as you mentioned, David, has two uh, LNG liquefaction uh, plants in Damietta and Idku. Uh, they uh, started to operate last year uh, after uh, Egypt suffered for about a decade for a major shortage of gas, so it stopped exporting gas. But, but now, after, as you mentioned, major uh, discoveries uh, in Egypt and the major increase in production of gas in the Zuhur field and other fields, so uh, Egypt uh, resumed the export of LNG. I'm not sure that Israeli gas would serve as a feedstock for LNG liquefaction in Egypt since it's a pretty expensive gas. Uh, but for serving the domestic market, already uh, Israel is exporting about 4 billion cubic meters BCM per year, which is expected to increase to about 7 BCM a year, as demand domestically in Egypt for gas increase, as well as gas for export via LNG. Egypt is on the brink economically. And if the, the government of Sisi will fail economically, it's a disaster to the entire region, you can't imagine. So it's so important to help them to build their economy on something which is sound, which is solid, which, which has a future, to be an exporter of gas. Whatever we, give, we, we export to them, they can export to Europe. The point is that till now, I don't see a comprehensive approach from the European side that to establish a permanent, long-range line of supply from Egypt. Now, what about the idea of a pipeline in Europe? Is that a fantasy? Is it, is it just too expensive for it to be economical? Indeed so. Uh, the company which is uh, initiating and developing this project, GIGI uh, Posidon, is doing its best in this respect to develop markets for East Med gas, Israeli gas, uh, Cypriot gas, maybe Egyptian gas, to supply uh, European uh, consumers. But uh, the price of gas in Europe would be uh, too expensive. I'm not sure there is economic value ability uh, for that uh, project. Uh, in addition, uh, the Green Deal uh, in Europe, uh, the uh, wish to reduce the uh, utilization of fossil fuel to curtail uh, carbon dioxide emissions. According to our forecasts and others, um, demand for gas in Europe is going to decrease uh, beginning this decade and decrease significantly next decade. So I'm not sure there's going to be a market for Istmed gas in Europe. Ephraim, how 
do you see this as significant? You've always been someone who's been a big believer in Israeli-Palestinian coexistence. We rarely speak about one small field, but important politically, is the gas field offshore Gaza. Because the, the, the paradox here is striking. Two million Palestinians live in terrible poverty, while they have a treasury of gas just a few miles offshore. So one of the measures that can be taken is to start use this field. And the easiest way is to, is to feed or to supply the electricity generation in Gaza from the gas of Gaza. What's important is that we don't leave this reservoir untapped. Important measure to give the people in Gaza hope and to show that Israelis and Palestinians can work together for a positive, constructive purpose. How do you see talks going on about this? We've seen some news reports about Israel and Gaza when it comes to gas. I don't know about the West Bank. Where where does it stand? As I said, the gas, the gas offshore Gaza, and to supply the West Bank electricity station with Israeli gas via the northern border of the West Bank, Afula, Jenin. takes so many years to do it. Um, there must be power plant in the north of the West Bank in Jenin area. We speak about it 20 years. It should be built. And then we can supply the electricity industry in the West Bank, the Palestinian sources of energy, with cheap, with cheap gas. And it can help them a lot. If you ask me what's new, maybe, maybe now in the aftermath of the recent conflict in Gaza, as a part of a greater plan, something will be done about it. If donors, the national community, are countries, positive ones, not those who are the paymaster of, uh, of terror, want to do something good, here, they have a project. So Amit, explain the, the triangle where you've got Israel, Greece, and Cyprus all seeming aligned and they and gas has brought Israel and Greece and Cyprus it seems closer than ever before and yet Turkey things are complicated there there have been times where the Turks have wooed Israel to sell it gas because maybe the Turks don't want to be so dependent on Russian gas it seems that Israel has resisted these appeals and has drawn itself closer to Greece and Cyprus how do you see these four countries were very uh, optimistic ideas of exporting uh, Israeli gas via the Mediterranean to Turkey. It made a lot of economic sense. Uh, as you mentioned, Turkey uh, wished to diversify its sources of gas and decrease its uh, dependence on imported gas from Russia. But I would say due to Erdogan uh, policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis Israel, this idea is not longer valid, and you can you can hear people at the prior Israeli Prime Minister office saying that uh, we prefer that the gas would remain uh, in the ground at the sea, uh, and we will not export it to uh, to Turkey under uh, those conditions of uh, escalation in the diplomatic relations between uh, Turkey and uh, Israel. 
So um, I would say that maybe the divorce or the worsening of the relations between Turkey, diplomatic relations, bilateral relations between Turkey and Israel, that was the major motivation for uh, Israel, uh, Cyprus and Greece to become uh, close allies. That's uh, Mr. Erdogan policy. But do you think through Greece and Cyprus, Israel can export more to Europe? That was the idea, the East Med Pipeline from Israel via Cyprus, Crete to Greece, and then uh, via the Adriatic Sea to southern Italy. That's the East Med Pipeline. Uh, it's still a prospective project. If it will materialize, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see it in the next year or so. I would say that the governments are indeed keen to develop this project, but it's not the government that are investing in such a pipeline. It's a commercial, the private sector. And uh, as long as there is no long-term take-or-pay contracts in Europe are secured for 10, 15, and 20 years to import relatively expensive gas from EastMed, so this project is not going to materialize, unfortunately. I am trying to uh, convince the Israeli government to develop some other uh, ways to utilize this gas. Otherwise, because there is a window of opportunity, I would say, uh, 20, 30 years for utilization of uh, the vast resources of gas we found offshore Israel. Otherwise, it would remain uh, forever in the ground. Because alternative energy will supersede, is that why? Exactly, because the U.S., uh, the Europe, and other countries already declared on the net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And so in this respect, we need to find other markets for uh, uh, EastMed gas. Ephraim, I mentioned the existence of something called the Middle East Gas Forum based in Cairo and a more of a regional look at gas cooperation. If we now look regionally uh, with the Abraham Accords and Arab normalization prospects, what role, if any, do you see for the Gulf states in this? The East Mediterranean Gas Forum is one of the very few positive developments in the, in the last decade. It's very important. Its geopolitical meaning is beyond its net worth. And recently something happened which can give it, a, I would say, another dimension. And this is the fact that the Emirati governmental company decided to buy 22% of uh, the reserve of, of, uh, of Delek, of Leviathan. Uh, it, it does not belong to the Lebanese border, but it is very important that, that the UAE is playing here a role. Its message, not only for Israel, it's a message for Greece, for Cyprus. With Egypt, they have good, good relations besides it, but here it's another axis. And it's an axis that I'm speaking about more than, 20, more than 20 years, about the alliance between two alliances, the Israeli-Gulf alliance on one hand, and the Israel-Mediterranean alliance on the other hand. And we are... Israel is the central point, is the pivot between these two alliances. So it has a huge importance, the fact that Mubadala decided to buy this 22%. I think it should be finally approved by our regulatory bodies, but I'm sure it will happen. And it's a very good, very good message. 
the major potential for cooperation in the energy sector, especially in the R&D research and development sector, there are already ties between investors from the United Arab Emirates and Israeli companies and vice versa to, to work together on developing vast array of technologies that we call clean tech in renewable energies, in uh, smart mobility and so on and so forth. This field has a major uh, scope for uh, development. Secondly, Israel and Iran, back in 1967, after the Suez Canal was uh, closed for about a decade, they developed together a mutual company, the Elat Ashkelon Pipeline Company. Lately, an agreement was signed between uh, uh, these companies and companies in the Emirates to utilize the exact cap, the same pipeline to basically avoid the passing via the Suez Canal or the Sumed Pipeline, which course Egypt is uh, the same concept. The problem with that is it is uh, generating major opposition in Israel, especially uh, from the environmental uh, groups and the people of Elat, because there is a major fear that if uh, tens or hundreds of uh, huge uh, tankers of oil basically will visit uh, the city of Elat, which uh, is very famous by its corals and undersea environment and so on and so forth, are going to, going to be uh, oil spills and so on and so forth. So I'm not sure to, to which uh, degree indeed this idea will be materialized. Even if it will, I mean, it's not going to be a major contribution to the Israeli economy uh, in basically charging transit fee for, for uh, oil. So with all these dynamics, Ephraim, um, are there other ideas that could improve Israel's regional standing by use of regional gas? What are some of the tough decisions that Israel has to take? To increase the cooperation between Israel, Egypt, Greece, and Cyprus, but to increase the, uh, and deepen the cooperation with one uh, strategic goal or two strategic goals in, in front of us. One is to bolster the Egyptian economy, to strengthen the stability of Egypt. This is the most important. The way to do it is, is a long-range long export agreement between Egypt and, and Europe with parallel agreements with Cyprus and, and Israel that we will supply them if needed with, with our gas to be liqui liquefied and, and, and exported. And to maintain and to expand the, the gas trade between Israel, Jordan, and Palestine. By doing so, we create a network of gas pipeline, but it can be translated to, to a political reality. All these players would play together. They have a joint interest, joint enemy, and they should work together. The, the tragedy is that, that they don't. What are the alternatives for Israel to export this surplus gas uh, capacity that it has? So, a uh, few, three things. Uh, first, it's a domestic, uh, much higher utilization of gas domestically. 
with uh, what I believe will be a rapid shift to uh, electric uh, transportation. So in the Israeli sense, it means that already in three years, uh, four years time, all the electricity is going to be generated by gas and renewable energy. In the Israeli sense, it's solar energy. Secondly, is exporting gas via development of FLNG, floating LNG plants, offshore Israel. So Chevron, which purchased Nobel Energy last year and now uh, is an um, operator of, of the uh, major fields of Tamar and Levatan here offshore, uh, they are considering uh, indeed developing later on this decade such projects to export LNG to markets in the Far East, especially China, Japan, uh, India, Korea, and Taiwan. And thirdly, the other options for utilizing the gas is not to use it directly as fuel uh, for power generation or industry or uh, domestic homes and so on and so forth, but to use it as a raw material, as feedstock, uh, for production of various uh, products like fertilizers, ammonia, urea, and methanol, and also fuels like gasoline and diesel, petrochemical uh, products uh, like propylene, polypropylene, uh, plastics, and so on and so forth. Well, it's very, it's fascinating what you're saying, because what I really hear from you is that Israel's now got to make some big decisions on its future. Uh, there's, there's opportunities, but um, it cannot just look at the conventional approaches. All right, that's a great note to end on. So I want to thank you both. Amit Moore, Ephraim Snap. thank you very much for joining us today. So we've really heard a fascinating uh, conversation where Israel is in a position that never thought it would be, that it almost has too much gas at, at this point that it's uh, the conventional routes uh, have its limitations in terms of exports. It is already exported to Jordan. It's exported to Egypt. Yet the gas might be too expensive to go via the Egyptian liquefaction onto Europe. And a pipeline to Italy seems to be right now to be commercially just not viable. So Israel has to think in kind of unconventional ways. Does it do it its own floating offshore liquefaction plan and then have ships take the tankers take the gas anywhere in the world? Or does it try to convert part of its own industry in a certain way to use gas for hydrogen or other purposes? Clearly, what's exciting, I think, environmentally is that Israel, if it goes the electric car route, it will be less dependent on oil, which I think is going to be good environmentally. And um, it could be part of this unbelievable transformation of Israel's electricity to be driven by natural gas. But strategically, no less important is how gas is bringing Israel closer to its Arab neighbors, whether it's in Jordan, whether it's in Egypt, whether it's some R&D projects. So I think it seems clear that the natural gas has been a win-win-win for Israel. It's environmentally transforming Israel that is less dependent on polluting forms of energy like coal, like diesel, and the like. And it is really driving Israel's whole electricity market. And it is making Israel a magnet 
for closer ties, whether it's with Eastern Mediterranean countries like Greece and Cyprus, or Arab countries that they see gains coming from Israel through the export of gas to Egypt and Jordan. And there might be other countries as well with the breakthroughs with the Gulf states. But Israel has to make some key decisions. What is it going to do with the gas that it doesn't export as Israel and the world looks at alternative energy going forward? These are some big decisions ahead. I want to thank all of our listeners from all over the world. I hope you join us for all of Season 3. Please go to your favorite podcast app to rate, review, and subscribe to Decision Points. And tell your friends. I also recently published a book co-authored with Ambassador Dennis Ross called Be Strong and of Good Courage, How Israel's Most Important Leaders Shaped Its Destiny. I want to thank all of those who made this podcast possible, our coordinator, Sheridan Cole, and our researcher, Alex Harris. I also want to thank Jeff Rubin, Scott Rogers, and Carolina Krauskopf of the Washington Institute. And finally, Richard Myron and Lindsay Riley, our production team at Earshot Strategies. Thank you all. Thank you all.